Hello and welcome to the Sankofa Book Club, a digital book club with a focus on African literature. Every month we read a book written by an author of African descent and discuss it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and our podcast, which you're listening to now. Um, hosted by myself, Akuya, and co-host Mel. Sankofa means return and get it in Chi. It symbolizes learning from your past and that is exactly what we hope to do. Learn about African history, African culture and how it affects us. So without further ado... Let's go get it. Hello and welcome back to the Sankofa Book Club. My name's Aquia, and today I have with me Vicky, who is hosting. Say hi, Vicky. Hey. So first and foremostly, I'd like to apologize for the silence. <clears throat> Weep Not Child is now booked for January because <laughs> December happened. Mel's not here because she's been extremely busy with her PhD. And by the time you hear this, she'll be done. So big clap for Mel, everybody. Ooh. Well done, Mel. Well done, Mel. You did it. Um, so, yeah, we... You know, Christmas happened, Mel's PhD was happening, and we took a little longer to reap to to read Weep Not Child. <laughs> but yeah, we've got Vicky here today. Victoria, tell us about yourself. Hi, um, what do you want to know? Who are you? What do you do? Is your name even Victoria? Should should we call you something else like Dr. Vicky? Oh <laughs> gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Victoria or Vicky. Um, and yeah, what am I? Oh yeah, I'm a counselling psychologist mm -hmm. and I'm a queer's friend. And so that's why I'm here. Fantastic. To help you out and yeah, to talk about this book. I don't really know if there's anything else to say. I'm quite boring. Um, Vicky also has her own podcast. Of course. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot um, about that. Vicky is offering counselling sessions to anyone and everyone who will pay in the Berkshire <laughs> area. There's I a lot you could say yeah, about yourself. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Okay, yes. Yeah, so can I say a bit about my podcast then? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I've got a podcast. I can't even say the word. A podcast, Dirty Laundry. And you can find it on SoundCloud or, yeah, there's a link to it on my Twitter, Dr. Yuana. That's U-W-A-N-N-A-H. And, um, yeah, so it's all about mental health and raising awareness and trying to challenge the stigma, trying to challenge the stigmatization of mental health. So, yeah, so if you're interested in that, have a peep at that. Even if you're not interested, you should listen to it because there's, Definitely. there's much to learn in the podcast world. Yeah. So go for it. So, yeah, let's jump right in let's crack on with our episode covering weep not child so vicky can you just give a bit of a synopsis as to what the book's about okay so weep not child is the story of three families and the roles they played in their communities during the mau mau uprising and you have mr howlands who's an englishman who lives in kenya with his wife and two children and jacobo is a wealthy black kenyan landowner with a wife and children. And Ngotho is a Kikuyu villager who works on Mr. Howland's farm and lives on Jacopo's land. 
and he lives in huts with his two wives and sons, Boro Kamau Mwangi, who died in World War II, Kori and Njuroge. So the story starts with Onjuroge, the protagonist, who's told by his mother that he'll be given the opportunity to go to school. And he'll be the first person in his family to do so. And he's often compared to Jacobo in the hope that Njuroge will also become very well educated and bring his family out of poverty. He goes to school with Jacopo's daughter Mwihaki and they become good friends. Around the same time, Ngothu's half-brother Kamal starts an apprenticeship in carpentry. So the black people go on a strike complaining that they are paid poorly and mistreated. Ngothu and the rest of Mr. Howland's employees are warned that anyone who strikes will lose their job, but Ngothu takes the risks, risk, goes on strike and attends the peaceful rally in town anyway. The rally is interrupted by Jacobo, who is sent in to pacify the people, and Ngothu gets so invigorated that he actually tries to hit Jacobo. The rally then becomes violent and all hell breaks loose. Ngothu, of course, loses his job, and he and his family are then kicked off Jacobo's land. However, Kamal's promoted at work, and he's able to continue supporting the family and Njurugo's education. Njurugo does very well academically, but however, he loses his best friend, Muhaki, as she attends boarding school. His elder brothers, Boro and Cory, become involved with the Mau Mau, an organisation striving for Kenyan economic, political and cultural independence. Their movements are heavily influenced by Kenya's political climate, and this is around the time that Kenya was trying to gain independence from the British. So Jacobo was made chief and Mr Howland's police officer. Boro and Cory, deeply involved in the Mau Mau and the Ngothu's family, are earmarked as a result. So when Jacobo was murdered, they were immediately blamed. Ndrogo was pulled out of school to be interviewed slash tortured by the police. Ngotho decided to come forward as the culprit in defence of his son, Boro, who everyone truly suspects. He's also tortured and castrated for information. He's finally released and dies at home. When Boro comes out of hiding and sees his father die, dying, he goes out and kills Mr Howlands. Ndrogo, despite his education, is forced to work in a shop to support his family. He also loses his best friend and love interest, Muhaki, due to the animosity between their two families. He spirals into depression and attempts to commit suicide, but his mother stops him just in time. The end. The end. So, yeah, that's um, a brief outline of Weep Not Child. Mm-hmm. Sounds a bit dark, to be honest. It does. <laughs> it does, actually. Um, so let's talk a bit about the author, Ngugiwa Thiongo. Um, he was born in Kamerithu, near Limuru, in the Kiambu district of Kenya, of Kikuyu descent. Um, but he was baptised with the name James Ngugi. Oh, he changed his name. Interesting. Mm. Um, just shout out to Wikipedia for helping me with this, by the way. <laughs> I don't need any plagiarism sharks coming for me. <laughs> His family was caught up in the Mau Mau War. His half-brother, Mwangi, was actively involved in the Kenya Land and Freedom Army, and his mother was tortured at Kimiruthu Home Guard Post. He attended the Alliance High School. He received a BA in English from Makarere University College in Kampala, Uganda, in 1963. And during his education, a play of his, The Black Hermit, was produced in Kampala in 1962. His work includes novels, plays, short stories, and essays ranging from literary and social criticism to children's literature. And he's the founder and editor of the Gikuyu language journal, Muitiri. 
1977, um, Nguyiwa produced a play called Ingakika Ndinda, which was a commercial success, but was shut down six weeks after its opening because it was hugely critical of the Kenyan regime at the time. Um, Ngui was subsequently imprisoned for over a year, um, adopted as an Amnesty International Prisoner of Conscience. The artist was released from prison and fled Kenya. In the US, he was taught at Yale for some years, and he has, uh, he taught at Yale for some years, sorry, and he has since taught at NYU and University of California. And he has been frequently regarded as a likely candidate for the Nobel Prize in Literature. So this is a very serious man, guys. Mm. Um, Weep Not Child um, was pub- first published, was his first novel, and published in 1964 under the name James Ngugi. Um, it was the first English novel to be published by an East African. So the, the story in particular works deals with the relationship between Africans and the British colonists in Africa and are heavily critical of the British rule. Specifically, Weep Not Child deeps deals with the Mau Mau uprising and the bewildering disposition of an entire people from their ancestral land. And he wrote this whilst he was a student. So everyone who's doing their BA, you should have written your first novel by now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, so he was born, we've listed where he was born and everything as well, but I don't actually have a date of birth. Yes, I do. 5th of January, he was born on the 5th of January, 1938. So he's 78 right now. Okay. He's a big He's, man. Yeah. So yeah, weep not child. Victoria, what did you think of this book? Wow. <laughs> Where do I start? Speak from the heart. Okay. <laughs> you know what? The first time reading this book, I hated it. And hate is a strong word. Mm. But I really did. Um... And it's funny because just flicking back through the book um, the other day, I started to rate it a little bit. I was like, why did I hate this book so much? And do you know what I think it was? I think I had the last book, the African book that I had read before this was Americana. Oh, stark difference. I mean... Such a difference. And, you know, I wanted to come on here. This is a Sankofa book club. It's all about promoting Africa, African um, literature and authors. And I was expecting Chimamanda. I'm sorry, babe. Before Chimamanda, there was Ngugi. Yeah. Oh, Walesa Yinka. Who are these other uncles? Yeah, but come on. Come on. (laughs) And so I was deeply upset. I think I was angry when I was reading the book. I was so angry. I get that. Because I... But you know what? It was actually quite deep. Because the second time reading it, I was being more intentional when Mm. I was reading it. And I was like, actually, there are are some gems here. Mm. Some hidden gems in this book because I think at first when I read it I was like it's hard for me to follow you're not making it enticing for me I don't care for these characters yeah and that was really frustrating but I think actually also sorry to get a bit deep but I'm a psychologist and that's what I do but I think the second time reading round I think I was aware of my bias when I was reading the book the first time round because it was unfamiliar it wasn't easy reading 
for me, for some reason, it was difficult to follow at times, and that just made me want to dismiss it. Mm. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't typically British. It wasn't typically Nigerian. So I thought, "Mm, you know, I can't really follow this. But I think that also... (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to get a bit deep. I think that also speaks of how we can be so quick to dismiss the unfamiliar and what is so not... We can be so quick to dismiss what is not... What doesn't look like us. Yeah. And I think that's what I did. I thought, this is too different. It's uncomfortable reading. It's inconvenient for me because it's not easy to follow. And so I just wanted to chuck it away. But I think being intentional about reading something is probably how you have to approach difference in general. Be intentional mm-hmm. about knowing, about seeing other people when they're different from you. So sorry, I just that went was a bit deep. deep I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should not apologize for your depth. Yeah, that I was can't a help it. But yeah, so the second time reading it, I thought it was okay. Actually, it packed in a lot of different topics mm. in one small book and yeah i rate i rate him wow oh can i tell you something else actually go on so the copy the version of the book i've got it's uh i think it's is it a penguin series okay is that the one you have it is so with the foreword by chinua achebe oh no my foreword is by ben okiri Ah, okay. So when I saw that forward, I missed it the first time around. I was like, oh, Achebe's given a forward. Let me read it. And I was challenged by what he wrote. So he said, quote, Mm. um, so he was encouraging this series of African authors and he was saying that they need to continue to explore, confront and question the realities of life in Africa through their work, Mm. challenging Africa's people to lift her to her rightful place among the nations of the world. And I was like, oh... That is very that's, deep. That's deep beautiful, and it's beautiful. Actually. And then I just thought, actually, this book is bigger than me. Mm. <laughs> it's bigger than I mean, my... I teardrops. The Sankofa Book Club is bigger than me. I know. <laughs> it is. It's got... We have a mission. We do. And, yeah. So I was like, okay, let me just give this book its fair You guys juice. need to know that this is a 360 from the last time. A <laughs> th- complete 360. I was... I was violently aggressive <laughs> with my hatred for the book. Wow. 2016, 2017. It's 2017, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, what did I you think of it? I didn't like it the first time I read it. Well, it wasn't that I didn't like it, but it was just like something to fill the commute. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I was, I was just like, oh, let me just read this. And I think it went a bit against what I was expecting because... The book only popped into my head because my mum mentioned that as she was getting more Pan-African as she grew up, it was a book she read. And I was like, oh, what's it about? And she's like, oh, it's about this. these two brothers. One becomes a carpenter and one beca- one, one goes to school. And I thought, oh, we get to see the two different paths. And I mm. that's not what the book was. No. <laughs> so I was like, oh, everyone dies. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just wasn't what I expected. But I think, again, the second time around I read it, I think for me, it wasn't that I was being intentional about it, but I wasn't reading it for the story mm. the second time I read it. I read it for the book club. And so it was, I wasn't looking for like a duff duff, or, you know, like I wasn't looking for a cliffhanger. <laughs> I was just, you know, reading it for the sake of it. And then I saw it more as like, 
a bit like a snapshot. Like this is this is what it is, and this is a story that needed to be told, mm. as opposed to this is a story to entertain you. Yeah, this is this was something that was written for education in in that sense that people needed to to hear this, mm. and um, it doesn't surprise me at all coming from Ngugi Wathiongo because he now writes in his local language, and so he's actually writing to his people. He's writing for stage. his people yeah, now, exactly. So, yeah, it. It tells a bigger story. Mm. It, it is really, it's quite interesting. And um, I didn't know much about Kenya, East Africa, their history. East side? Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I had to. <laughs> and sometimes, like, it's easy to kind of bag all of Africa in one, mm. especially as diasporans. Like, where we live, we kind of are all one. Um, but our histories have their differences. So mm. It was good to know. It was. Yeah. I do wish there was more story to it, though. This this might, this might just wasn't the book for that. There are mm. other books for that. That's why we have Queen Chimamanda. I know. The Queen. Hell, hell. All hell the, the Queen. <laughs> she's, so, she's so beautiful. Let's not go off topic. But do you I think she'd ever listen to this? I hope so. <gasps> right. So let's discuss some of the themes. Mm. In the book, I think the first one that's really important to discuss um, is something that occurs uh, um, throughout the book, and that's war. Mm. So I think it's something that traumatized everybody at some point because all the characters have experienced First World War, Second World War, and the Mau Mau uprising as well. Mm. So in Gotho and Mr. Howland's, both fought in the First World War, but very different roles. Like, Mr. Howlands was just a British soldier, and Ngothu was, like, an errand boy. Mm. Like, he didn't do much. Yet, Ngothu's sons fought in the Second World War and played a much more active role. One of them actually died in the Second World War and affected Borough a lot, because yeah. I think he was really close to... Is it Mwangi? It is Mwangi. Mwangi. And then... Of course, this the story transpires throughout the Mau Mau uprising, which, funnily enough, it caught up people who weren't even involved. Mm. Just kind of, as long as you fit the bill, you were described as Mau Mau. So, and, you know, obviously it's the main reason between the beef between all those families. And so, yeah, I think it really did have an impact on all these different characters because... The war kind of became an enemy to characters like Njoroge against his like education mm. and his faith as well. Mm. Um, and then you've got Mr. Howlands who settles in Kenya and focuses his everything on his land and this new life is that he's living because of his experiences of the war and mm. of the First World War and how much it affected him that when he went back to England, it just felt a bit numb. Like, there was nothing else going on. And his son died in the war as well. His son, yeah, his son died in the Second World War. Mm. And he was very close to that son, actually. Yeah, mm. I remember now. And, yeah, it's just... It's something that is talked about, but not necessarily the big deal. The big deal is the Mau Mau uprising and this kind of fight for the land. But the, all these wars are what have triggered everything. Yeah. It's, this, it's the Second World War that kind of spurred independence in Africa because 
you know, you can see the difference. Ngotho's generation didn't do much in the war itself. Mm-mm. And then Bora's generation were fighting and dying. Mm. And, you know, they, they were a lot more active. And so suddenly they realised that they can do things for themselves and things like that. And I remember um, <clears throat> my mum telling me how some people didn't even realise white people bled until they went to the war and started killing them themselves. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know... If you think about it theoretically, you don't need that much knowledge or skill to fight in all. You just need to be told, shoot, you know, yeah. kill people, basically. And so they were plucking everybody from the empire to, to fight for them in the war. Um, and so people, it was just one way of learning. Like even in the barber mentioned how he couldn't believe that there were white prostitutes. Oh. Yeah, you know. You know. I, I wanted to come on to that later. <laughs> You can still come back onto it. But, you know, just like the the humanisation of the white man, uh, that's the result of war as well. And that is a lot of what spurred Africa to want more for themselves. Africans to want more for themselves, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought Boro, he just came... He he came for his father. It was almost like he's he was saying to him... OK, so basically, this is another topic. Are we going to talk about land? Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that Okay, later. so that's another topic. But Borrow just came for his father when he was like, basically, you're saying that Mr. Howlands, the Englishman, is on our ancestral land mm-hmm. and you've done nothing, mm-hmm. but yet we've gone to fight for their war and our brother has died. What are you doing? Mm. And his father just suddenly became afraid of him. And I was just like, wow, it only took him saying that yeah. to to make you think twice about your life and get yourself together and yeah it was deep and from then he started looking at Mr Howlands with a different with a different set pair of eyes Mm. because he thought um oh I think he I don't know if he was complaining he was talking to Mr Howlands about the war and then there's this quote when he's like well he he thinks that Mr Howlands shouldn't have complained because it was his war yeah and I thought oh that's deep it's true, though. That's deep. But yeah, it took you all this time. It took your son coming back mm, to, to, tell, to you tell you that. Oh, and, that and I think that's because Borough had a different experience to Ngotho. Yeah, like, he did. Ngotho's priority is nurturing the ancestral land until he gets it back. Borough has seen his brother killed for a war that has nothing to do with him. Mm. And so that seems a bit frivolous to him. He can't ignore Mr. Howland's pride he can't you know there are certain things he can't overlook because of what he's experienced in in the second world war and so i don't it's not even that it took borrow to check him it took borrow to let him know the reality of the situation (laughs) yeah and that's that's just what it was i think but yeah war mad thing horrible right let's talk about the second theme which you touched on actually land the land Hmm, yeah. Yeah, so right from the beginning, Ngugi kind of sets the the framework of the book. He goes into description about land right from the beginning. I'm like, mm. what is the emphasis on you detailing different parts of the land, what it looks like, what it's like to walk on? I didn't even think of that, to be honest. And I, thought, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention, probably. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention the first time round. Okay. But the second time round, with eyes of intention. Well done. I was like, wow, he's really describing the land. What's the big deal? Mm. And yeah, land, I mean, he, I think 
what's his name? Gotha says it himself, like, without land, you're nothing. Yeah. And I thought that was quite interesting. So even though he's sending, he's sending Ndroge to school, but it's so that he can be well-equipped and well-learned to have land. Yeah. It all comes back to land. They always talk, whenever they talk about Mr. Howlands or Jacobo, they refer to like, all his land. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's, yeah. It's a big deal for them. I was actually trying to figure it out because we've talked about this before, like why, mm. why the big deal about land? But I think maybe because ultimately going to basic needs, that is how they feed their families. They have land, they farm it, they sell any extra. And then, you know, so it's it's not just... I think maybe now it's more a symbol of wealth, but for them it was a literal, it was, you know, it was literally how they would generate income. Do you think it would have been as big of a deal if the British went in their land? Oh, see, that's layered now because, so we've spoken about like, in Gotho and Bora's different perspectives on, like, Mr. Howland. Mm. For in Gotho, I think it's just, like, dibs, like, oh, my land. But for Bora, it's probably more symbolic. Mm. Where, so, I, so I think Bora wouldn't even care so much about the land, but more about having the independence. Yeah. And so maybe I would say for, for the Boros of the book, for the Mau Mau, the land is Kenya. Mm. As opposed to just, this is my plot. Yeah. This is what my ancestors said I should have. Yeah. Which is kind of the same thing, but just different perspectives. Um, I think maybe Ngotho's desire for the land seems a bit more small-minded, but the heart behind it is the same. It's something that belongs to you and belongs to your people, belongs to the generations to come after you. And the British come into play in the sense that they both, I think both parties see it as like they're here on a temporary basis. They're camping. And it's just... Really? I think so. I think obviously Mr. Howlands doesn't see it as such. No, he's there to stay. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that... I can see why you think that they don't see it that way because they don't do anything about it for a long time. Mm. But I, do, I don't think any... I don't think many of the people really believe that this is a land we share with the British. It's just like the British are here for a while. And that's that was always the intention when the Europeans came to Africa anyways. It was it was often trade. Mm. And then they settled. And then they brought policies too. So Yeah. It's layered, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I I find it interesting how much Mr. Howland loved the land because it baffed me. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I just think okay, there's like lots of grass and like whatever people are growing that must make you happy. But that just reinforces how detached he must have felt from England that he needed some a physical claim to Kenya. Yeah, didn't you say that he was like a nobody? Yeah, he was a nobody in England. Yeah, there's there's nothing that showed that he came from any family. It would have been mentioned, especially given the style of the book. You you kind of have context as to everybody, what you know, what their family does or where yeah. they're from, and it's also mentioned that his wife, not that she was a nobody, but she was slyly like just. 
Some he just thought he, yeah, yeah, she'll do. So, you know, if you're going to give context as to her setting, I think the author would have given context to his. Mm, and true. Beyond being a soldier, we don't know anything about no. Mr. Harlan. So I'm going to assume he wasn't nobody. Mm. <laughs> but he came to Kenya and he was a somebody because he had land. Yeah, precisely. He was given land at a very cheap rate. Oh, land. Weep not, child. This is an aside, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway, because YOLO. Why do you think the story was called Weep Not Child? I was thinking the <laughs> same thing, because I didn't see any reference to that in the book. There were no children. People just kept growing. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I didn't hear anyone crying. Yeah. So I'm a bit confused. Guys, tell us who you think the child is that is weeping and who is telling the child not to be like, what do you think really means, weep not child? And what is the child weeping about? Weep not child. We might revisit this later on in the podcast. I'm going to keep it in the back of my head. Okay. But yeah, the the third theme we wanted to discuss is injustice. Um, And I think there are so many cases of it throughout the book. I couldn't ignore it. Mm. And um, I remember you saying it was too much. <laughs> there was just so much going on. Like, how can we keep up? But I think that was the idea of it in that. So, I mean, we've both read Americana. We're both big fans of Queen Chimamanda. Yeah. Um, the injustice that was focused on in that book was primarily racial. And is it, could I say sexist injustice? Well, sexism. Mm. <laughs> um. But this book kind of tackles injustice in all areas. So there's just, there's classism, there's racism, obviously, then there's corruption within the police. And there's also wickedness. <laughs> just straight up wickedness. Just pure just wickedness. <laughs> yeah, it's just all there. But I think, again, I think that was Nguyi's intention to give you a snapshot. Like, the book actually transpires over an eight-year period. This is the joke. and but he, This is... I'm sorry. Go for it. I'm googie. He doesn't make it very clear. No. The that, time that frame. That a lot of context. I, I had to find that. Myself. Yeah. I didn't the like that. The closest thing you have to a time frame is um, in Jiroge's education. That's the only that thing. That made it to secondary school. But even That's then, the only marker. Like, boom. Class two. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Six, four. Like, we're like, whoa. <laughs> Next thing you know, like, Wiki's gone to teacher training. We're like, whoa, whoa, what's happening? We hacky, sorry. Mm. But... Yeah, um, I think the intention was to just create a snapshot. And, you know, it's not like the suffragettes or, dare I say, Black Lives Matter, where it's one issue yeah. in one period of time. Mm. It's quite several. a layered issue. Mm. Like, even Jacobo's role, like, it's a bit of a snake, to be honest. Um, I don't know. Some people... Some people welcome the role of being the middleman because that's maybe the only way things can get done. At the same time, I saw him doing more harm to his fellow Kenyans than. But he than wasn't. Good. He wasn't a middleman. He was someone who took advantage of the opportunities presented to him. Right, but I'm saying in most cases where you have Jacobos, you know, people who have access to both mm, parties. Yeah. The intention is that they're supposed to help each, you know, each party get along or, mm. and primarily you would think that, you know, being a black Kenyan, his priority would be 
helping them. But that wasn't the case. No. I think one thing this book does is it highlights... uh, I don't want to say it's a stereotypical, but it it highlights uh, a mindset that I think is rife within the black African community, which I was a bit... I was cringing when, you know, he just laid it out there. And how they... How we <laughs> can be so contradictory and and so demeaning of ourselves as a race, mm. if I'm permitted to say that. Um, because I thought, why are you going to just let it out there? I mean, he's clearly just using this opportunity to snake his people, but he doesn't he doesn't care about his people. He thinks about money and wealth. <laughs> and land but not just that i think he just in googie he highlighted the uh, how you can just you can oh, i don't know how to describe it aquia you gotta help me out <laughs> no, but in one se- in one sentence you can praise your people but in the same the next breath you just dismiss your people yeah yeah so for example when they're talking about the the women and Ngotho saying he's he's reflecting on what the Bible was talking about how there were British white women who were prostitutes mm. and he was he was looking at Mr Howland's wife and he was like but she's so skinny why <laughs> why would anyone want to have go with a skinny woman mm-hmm. she doesn't have any meat on her he prefers his women like sweaty mm-hmm. and curvy mm-hmm. but then in the next breath he says but why would a woman like Mrs. Howlands cheapen like, herself yeah, yeah. by sleeping with a black man? Yeah. I'm just like, oh no. You're building yourself up and then pe- yeah, tearing yourself down. down in the same sentence. Yeah. And I thought Ngugi just displayed that for everyone to see. But I know it's it's very real. It's real. Let's talk about um Ngugi's style and his technique. I thought the book was actually very well written. Because initially I didn't enjoy the story um, and I was only able to kind of stand it because it was so well written. Like Mm. normally if I'm reading a book and it doesn't pick up like a third of the way through, I'm not going to finish it. Mm. I have one of them upstairs, just their bookmark and everything. (laughs) (laughs) I bought a bookmark so that I would see it sticking out. (laughs) I'm just not going to read it. You know, if it, if it's not, if the story isn't picking up, if, the writer isn't saying, you know, if the style doesn't interest me, I don't normally stick at it. But I think he has a really, really great style. And considering that was his first book and he did it whilst he was doing his BA. Mm, I yeah. think that's amazing. We rate you. We and rate you. I think it was it was really good that he was able to do that because, like I said before, it was a needed story. It was something that we needed to hear. We didn't necessarily need to enjoy it Yeah. to hear it. It's just kind of... This is what happened between 1952 and 1960. And this, you know, this is what it meant to us and blah, 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 blah. Um, And I think another reason I really enjoyed it is that even though it's not massively personable in Mm. that you have a character that you're devoted to or following, every time the narrator is focusing on a character it's so it's like it's almost like it's first person like Mm. it tells you everything about what they're seeing what they're feeling even if it is in just a sentence like 
getting in the into the head of Mr. Howland would I think that was the best example of that because he's not a character that you can see what he's really thinking from mm. the way he interacts with other people. Like Yeah. You have to get into his yeah, head. Yeah. And and I think as a narrator and Googie did that really well because like we know how much he treasured his first son, how he doesn't necessarily love his family and he's more interested mm -hmm. in his land. And I I preferred seeing it from that perspective because it gave it a bit of a detachment. Yeah. So if if the story was perhaps written in first person from Injiroge's perspective, Injiroge's not going to know that. It's going to be his opinion. And his opinion won't won't explain that to us to an extent where we understand why he's out here killing people mm. just to establish his, you know, his authority on the land or whatever. So I really like that. And I did actually like how brief the book was because, you know, like we said, it was, it did take, um, it did happen over an eight year period. So it could have been quite thick, mm. but like I said, it was just a snapshot. We saw what we needed to see. Mm. And um, that was that was just a great way to ingest it, if you will. What did you think? I mean, I do agree with you. I think there there were times when I felt it was a bit clumsy, the jump mm. from different characters. And certain points in the book, I didn't know what character we were focusing on mm. or who was talking. Was it a character that was narrating or was it an objective bystander narrator? Sometimes I felt that yeah, was a bit yeah. confusing. But I mean, like you said, I think it is good that he was able to, to, I think it was quite skillful to be able to go into the mind of the other without, yeah. Yeah, I know I what thought you mean. That, Yeah, it was good. What was your favorite bit of the book? Do you know what? There were so many one-liners that I loved Yay! that he just dropped. Give us so, a okay, so that I said oh, I've said the one about the war already. I think at the, I think it's probably towards the end. It's weird that it's my favorite part because it's not exactly a good part, mm. but it's when Njoroge realizes that his childhood plan of being the superhero. Okay, superhero is a bit, no, that's a bit harsh. Of being the saviour. Mm. Actually, no, saviour is a bit harsh <laughs> as well. Um, basically, that he this role that was placed upon him, that he was going to bring his family to freedom, wealth. Mm. And then he realises that his childhood dreams are dashed, have been dashed, yeah. just yeah. like that, mm -hmm. because of the war. And I thought, oh, but who told you that was your role? <laughs> But wait, his dad did. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like how sad <laughs> that you spend your whole life from a young age thinking this is your purpose, this is your role. And you never made it. And you never made it. And you then feel to go and commit suicide. But really... <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> but really, it was a job that you could have never fulfilled. The sh the It was too... The the load was too heavy like, for his life shoulders and maybe it just it wasn't meant to be so is it like the reality of it that you you liked why was that your favorite part like? um yeah i think the reality of it and just showing how at a young age <laughs> ideas can be planted in your mind and you really run with it you really run with it oh and my you, gosh that mind blown that is why some people in the office really do believe they're god's gift to us <laughs> 
because for a good They've 18 to 22 years to believe that they're like you are the heart and my my everything darling i love <laughs> right i mean <laughs> i i'm a lot more forgiving of those people now it's not their fault it's actually not their fault okay. honestly if you've been told constantly you internalize it and you really believe it i felt sorry for him you know what a heavy load to carry at such a young age and for it to be dashed because of the realities of war and everything else. It's not an uncommon one, though. No. It's not an uncommon one. Eldest child syndrome. You'll mm, get that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm okay now, though. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was my therapist's voice. I think so. <laughs> maybe, maybe the therapy will continue after the podcast. <laughs> What was your least favorite part? Mm. Hmm. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I didn't really like him go through his whole character. Yeah. yeah. I I just, I've, I what, I are you team Yeah. I really identified with Borrow. I was like, you. I want. <laughs> I wanted to slap his dad upside the Rude. head. Rude. You mean to tell me that I've been in this war? My brother, whom I love so much, has died. And you're sitting here and you, you just feel now to tell us that actually this land that I work on is actually ours. Do you know why I'm not Team Borough? Why? Because he never really explained himself. He never really told anybody how... Why does he, he need to do that? He never really told anybody how hurt he was. He never really gave any detail as to what happened in the war. It's called PTSD. Okay. It's Madame, called shock. Madame psychologist. You but, know. you know, the rest of us are not mind readers. Ngotho, if maybe Ngotho had the chance to empathize with his son, he could have done better. And even... But the, instead, he feared his son. <laughs> but the best he could do in terms of empathizing with his son was taking the blame for what he did to that wasn't empathizing that was doing his job as a father hey let me tell I'm you now sorry. my mom has told us before that if we go and commit a crime she will tell the oh, police oh it's true it's true my mom has said the same <laughs> thing i was gonna say like he doesn't he does not have to go that far it's yeah i think it's more out of guilt really i don't yeah. think he does it out of empathy oh i don't know i thought yeah i thought borrow was a bit too brash mate he needed no he needed a, a counseling therapist because a lot of his actions you know were were you know just spurred by it was it was his hurt. struggle his hurt he was hurting bruh the whole family suffered because you're hurting what he, no he let nah he let his dad take the blame he watched his dad die no um, no 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 um in Jiroge, sorry why no 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 why did Ngotho just suddenly decide during the peaceful protest? I'm doing peaceful with inverted commas. Because he has He now has too. to go and stand up. And then he didn't even have the, I don't want to say the guts. He didn't even fight him. He let the he crowd mob him. Too. He has emotions too. Like, oh no. It was gen it came out of nowhere. The fact that he just suddenly found himself in front of Jacoba, I was like, yo. Why did he find happen? himself? You know, I Who think was it that spurred him to find himself? His son. No, no. I think he has his. He had his own drive as well. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, mm -hmm. right. So you didn't like. Okay, yeah. Though. Sorry. What was you, your least favorite bit? My just... least, my least favorite part was when 
when Injuroge was called out of class, mm. because for me, I knew that was the end. That like, mm. it wasn't that he was being pulled out of class to go for the interview and come back. I was like, you're not going to school anymore. <laughs> I just knew it. <laughs> the I dream just, was over. Exactly. I was like, I knew it from that <laughs> moment because especially as like the day had been going so well, he was super chirpy. And like, I was really happy for him that he'd accomplished so much in his education. I was even buying into this dream that he, <laughs> he was going to save the family. But as soon as like the teacher came for him, I was like, nah, man, mm. it's, it's actually Game all over. over. Yeah. So that, that, um, that was unfortunate for me because, um, yeah, I like to see people live in a fairy tale world. Like if I'm going to pay money to go to the cinema and watch a film, it's going to be a rom-com with a happy ending. Really? Yeah. Hmm. This is why I don't go to the cinema. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, the kind you, of person I am. You don't like reality. <sighs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, do, I mean, you don't have to like reality. It is what it is. But if I could have an option, mm. I would write my life story. It would include a lot of money and travel. Mm. And Coffee Syrup was my husband. Shout out to Bay. He's out hey, there listening. Hey. <laughs> I'm going to add him on Twitter and send this to him. Oh, please do. Maybe he'll like it. Okay, Some... let's, stop, let's stop being Nikki. Let's stop okay, being Nikki okay. in case he listens. Okay, okay. Hi, Coffee. But we love you. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, I didn't like that bit. It made me a bit sad. Mm. Yeah, because I just, I knew his dreams were being shattered. The pipe dream was over. Mm-hmm. Oh. My favorite bit was, and Jerry had this one liner and I was like, she gets it. And she doesn't even know that she gets it. <laughs> Let me whip it out and read it. <clears throat> Chapter nine. Oh. Page 82. It better be page 82 or I'm going to be embarrassed. <gasps> is it not page 82? It is, it is, it is. It's okay, okay. it's okay. Let's ignore her first line because she's clearly confused. <clears throat> and although I'm a woman and cannot explain it, it seems all clear as daylight. The white man makes a law or a rule. Through that rule or law, or whatever you may call it, he takes away the land and then imposes many laws on the people concerning that land and many other things, all without people agreeing first, as in the old days of the tribe. Now a man rises and opposes that law, which made right the taking away of land. Now that man is taken by the same people who made the laws against which that man was fighting. He is tried under those alien laws. Now tell me, who is that man who can win, even if the angels of God were his lawyers? I mean... Boom. (laughs) By the way, that I mean was from her. (laughs) I I didn't say I mean. And I just thought she gets it. Like, she understands it. And that's, I think, always has been and always will be Africa's problem in that Mm. we didn't choose our fate. No. Um, It was decided somewhere in a boardroom. This is it. Like, you know, one day everyone met up. Was it in Belgium? They were like, hey, you can have South Africa. You can have Togoland. You can have this. You can have that. And then you have the borders that we have today. No consideration for tribe Mm. or culture. Or, hey, what the individuals there want. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Stuff like that. And, you know, even the environment. Our land has been raped. You people are out there buying diamonds and all sorts. You pay, what, hundreds for your iPhones. The minerals that are used for that, go and ask Congo. Shout out Revive Congo. My friend runs a charity. 
which is all about Congo and helping rebuild it. Oh, um, that's lovely. Yeah, look into that. It will be in the description somewhere. But there's what Injeri said, although she is but a woman, um, what, she, <laughs> what she said is actually really powerful. Mm. Um, and it's just something to consider, I think. So, yeah, that, that was my favorite part of the book. That is the end of the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for joining us, Vicky. We've had That's a okay. we've had a lovely time. I've really enjoyed it. We'll have you back. We'll have you back. Oh, please do. So yes, tell us how people can find you. Tell us your website, your Twitter. Okay, so my website. I guess if you want to know a bit more about what I do, the day job, um, you can click on to info at libertytherapies.com. and yeah. Have a gander, have a browse. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can find me at Dr. UWA, double N-A-H, that's Dr. Iwana. And there's also a link to my podcast there. Hooray. So thank you so much for coming on board. Thanks for having me. Um, the Sankofa Book Club, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> Despite our current online presence. A lot is changing in 2017. Oh, yeah. for the good? For yeah, the like we're growing. Ooh. A lot's going to happen. I need to know these plans. I don't know them. Oh, don't worry. Vicky will be involved in these plans. Okay. But, you know, to keep up with these plans and find out what our next book is, make sure you follow us on Twitter at the Sankofa BC. Follow us on Insta, uh, the Sankofa.bc, on Facebook.com forward slash the Sankofa BC. Like, comment, share, follow, subscribe, review, all of them. Everything. Cool. Yay, thanks guys. Peace have a out. good day, week, month. Oh my gosh, have a good year. It's finally appropriate. It's Yay. the new year. Bye. Bye.